I just go in and like take all my bodily fluids. Do my fluids. Smear. Just, Here you go. Just take every bodily fluid yeah. you can get out what, of me. What do you want? Blood, saliva, Blood, saliva urine, urine, whatever. Blood. I got it. Yeah. You want it? I got go it. For it. <laughs> it's a fire sale. Exactly. It's a fire sale. <laughs> if you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're keeping it real about sexual health. Oh yeah, we are. <laughs> I like so, to, just hang on, I just really like to envision some like really 90s uh, text floating in at an extreme angle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With like the trails Keep behind it, real. it as yeah. it's real. flying in. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. So this is the intro to your, to your health class, <laughs> your ninth grade health class video. <laughs> See, that's the thing though. I wish that this would have been like the intro and kind of the sh- the shtick, the spiel that we got in our health mm. class, because so much of what is taught in health these days, and especially when we were kids, yeah. was just terrible yeah, and it, just about scaring you. Yeah. And it was awful, awful. It really depends on the school district also. Mm-hmm. Like there's no standard mm-hmm. for what's taught, at least in the United States, that yeah. it can so vary by school district to school district and... We still have a lot of places that are teaching abstinence-only education, and it's really oh. not really not helpful for us. Nope, not helpful for mm. anyone, especially not the kids of today. Yeah, yeah, the kids of so, today, <laughs> the up-and-coming children of of tomorrow. <laughs> um, <laughs> so basically, I had an idea to that we needed to revisit this episode simply because. I learned recently that two of my best friends um, who are monogamous, they were talking about the fact that they were about to go get ready to have um, a doctor's appointment. And one of them had not been to the doctor and therefore not had an STD test in over 10 years. And this person is male. So he has not had an STD test in over 10 years. And in that time, he has had sex with a lot of people and yet has never, ever seen if he has anything so because of this i was flabbergasted and i was like well what about yes can i I cut in really quick how did this conversation come about between the two of you we were i mean when you run a show on sex and relationships sex and relationships (laughs) come up from time to time Funny how that happens yeah exactly so i think it just became a, a topic of conversation and then all of a sudden he was like, yeah, I'm about to go get tested because, like, I haven't in, like, 10 years. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Wait, really? And that would, like, scare me. Any If I were to go out on a date with him, I would be really worried if, if like, I knew that my partner or that my potential new sexual partner had not been tested in, in this amount of time. Um, but his current girlfriend has you know, it has been with him for two years and in that entire time has never known his sexual history. So hmm. I was like, you know what? Let's talk about let's talk this about, a little let's bit. Let's talk about this. I mean, in yeah. terms of talking about dating someone who who hasn't been tested in so long too, like aside from even just a concern about the fact that they don't know and that so you don't know either, but also just kind of a person who doesn't take that seriously or doesn't prioritize that is also kind of a bad indicator of like, well, what other things might they not be actively maintaining about their health or about, you know, their um, effect on other people and all these things. So I feel like there's a a few, few troubling things there. I don't know why though. I, I mean, I, to be fair, when I first started getting sexually active, like that wasn't, this is, I don't know why this is. It wasn't even a thing I thought about to concern myself about for a number of years. Mm. And I had gotten all the like health class stuff about STIs and about getting tested. But for some reason it's just like, I don't know, my dumb little like 20 year old self was just like, la 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 la. Like, I guess it doesn't apply to me. Like, I don't feel like I have an STI, you know, I I think that, and I don't know what, I don't know why that is. I don't know why that's 
if that's a product of what we learn in the school system, if it's a product of just not talking about sex or about sexual health enough that it just doesn't become a part of what we're normally thinking about. Like, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I think it's twofold. And this is a vast, big generalization, but I think a lot of kids these days, I know I did when I was a child. Sorry, I am almost 30. I am no longer a kid these days. (laughs) No, but um, I think a lot of young people think that they're invincible in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways. And so it just doesn't even necessarily cross their minds. And also on the other flip side of that, I think that there is potential fear involved with getting an STI check just because Hmm. it's like there is so much stigma surrounding so many things which I think is very unfair and people may just be worried like well what am I going to do am I going to have no sex life if I find out that I have something or blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think, I think fear is a big factor yeah. in that. Yeah. I was, I was going to say I was uh, lucky, I guess, in that in uh, high school, I had a part-time job and there was um, another woman, girl, I guess we were both in high school, we'll say boys and girls here. Okay. <laughs> uh, there was another girl who was about my same age who worked there, but she was very actively involved in, um, in like sexual education amongst Hmm. our peers. We went to different schools, um, but in the same general area. Uh, And, you know, we had a little bit of a flirty rapport and I was was into her, but because like that, like gave me my motivation to like really listen to what she's saying and be like, yeah, gosh, you're right. That's so cool. That's that's really cool. So (laughs) so I guess I was lucky in that way that, that, and that was at a point in my life where I had not had sex yet. Um, So like to, to get that kind of um, education, I guess, with a little motivation behind it of like why I should care. I mean, sex is a great motivator, including for learning about sexual health, I guess. Right. Uh, So obviously this is such a broad topic and we can't cover the entire scope of sexual health or STI risk or managing that or disclosing that or talking Mm -hmm. about that. Um, So what are, you know, we kind of boiled down just a couple intentions that we have for this episode. Right. So the first of those is to get real, as I said in the intro, to to keep it real about what are your chances of being exposed to and being infected with different STIs in in your sex life. We also wanted to talk about the importance of testing. Um, We'll delve a little bit more into that, but just... You know, it's important to get tested and it's important to talk about that, mm-hmm. those test results with your partner or potential partners. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I, of course, have to give the disclaimer that we're not doctors. We are not health professionals of any kind. Um, you can find lots of great information out there about all of this from the CDC or from Planned Parenthood. But as always, be aware that information comes with an agenda often. Um, Mm -hmm. So find multiple sources. Um, You know, anything that you hear from us, double check it as well with with different sources. Talk to your doctors, not just one doctor, multiple doctors if Mm -hmm. you can. Um, Get a variety of professional opinions and really make sure that you're making the effort to educate yourself as well along with, you know, any information that you receive from somebody else, including us. Yeah, definitely. And that I think today, with the internet being such an easy resource, it's both a bad thing in that, you know, there's a lot of not reliable sources out there, but the advantage we have is if we are proactive ourselves, we can check things and see like, what are the sources of that? Can I get sources from a lot of different places? Can I read about different studies? Can I try to find places that seem to have more of an even approach to this or like this episode we tried to look at a lot of different sources for this information so we're not just like hey we're doing an episode based on one article we read on the cdc right that this is pulling together a lot of different things and being like huh that doesn't seem to fit with other things i've heard let me try to find another source and kind of see um, to try to get to a more realistic view of these Mm -hmm. so with that um another thing that we wanted to cover real quickly is just about talking about STIs and uh, sort of a few guidelines that we want to be mindful of ourselves. Um, And also uh, we would love for more people in the community to be mindful about the way that they talk about STIs. Yeah, I definitely see a big disconnect 
in the ways that STIs and sexual health are talked about within alternative communities um, Mm -hmm. versus more traditional communities. Um, Mm -hmm. And often, I think I often see, especially people who maybe have been in more traditional relationships their entire life and are starting to explore non-traditional relationships will often still bring with them a lot of old, tired out ways and unhealthy ways of talking about STIs. Mm-hmm. They'll kind of sometimes bring that in. Um, so we just wanted to kind of lay this down as some standards for, for talking about things. Yeah. Um, the first thing being to, you know, when you're talking about STIs, either about yourself or somebody else or to somebody else, um, avoid using clean or dirty right. terminology mm-hmm. in talking about it. People um, don't often say dirty, right? but, but they realize that they every time you're clean. saying clean, mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm clean for STIs, or I only have sex with people if they have a clean bill of health, that by saying clean, you're implying that the opposite of that is somehow dirty. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not the case. Would, would you say someone was, you know, not clean because they'd had the flu or because right. they'd had chicken pox in their life? Right. That's absurd. Um, and so because we are so uncomfortable with sex in our culture, like we give it this whole dirtiness thing, just like we used to talk about people, especially women who've had sex at all as not being clean anymore, right. not being dirty, yeah. right. that's desirable. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. So make sure that you avoid that kind of language, you know, just get more specific with it. Talk mm-hmm. about like, well, I've tested negative for these things, or I've tested positive for these things, or mm-hmm. my partner has tested negative for all these things, or tested positive for this, you know, um, as opposed to it just being the sweep of like, no, a clean bill of health or no, all my STI results right. are clean. Right. Yeah, you can be more clinical about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, in addition, um, there's a lot of talk out there still uh, regarding jokes and STIs, specifically herpes that are really damaging and continue that stigma of like, this is an unclean or an uh, not a good thing or mm-hmm. you somehow are dirty if you have this. Um, right. So like obviously... This- Especially jokes that add like a value judgment to the people exactly. who have something. Right. Again, like you wouldn't give a value judgment to someone because they had the flu or not, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. these are, in both cases, are still infections and diseases that you get from other people. That's how all of them pass, right? It's right. not, no one just spontaneously is given one of these, right? They're They're spread from people to people either way. These ones just happen to be related to our genitals sometimes not even sometimes. all the times yeah 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 um yeah, this so actually definitely avoid that reminds yes. me as well um we'll talk about this a little bit later on but ella dawson who um is someone who identifies as polyamorous and i believe queer as well mm-hmm. maybe I, I might be getting that wrong um but also is very open and vocal about having herpes as well she talks about actually calling people out when they make a herpes joke mm. um that her first and she talks about the first time that she did it it was like at a party and she was sharing a cup with somebody and he was like don't worry i'm not sick and also i don't have herpes either so don't worry about that and that it was really hard for her but she was like you know what actually that's not funny because i do have herpes and it's actually a very Mm -hmm. normal thing and she says that at first it was scary but the fact that his reaction was not like oh that's so gross it was like oh my god that's so embarrassing for me that i just insulted Mm. you to your face and also a whole a whole swath of the population essentially um and people remember instances like that so Mm -hmm. might be something to consider even if you do not have hsv um but just to bring that up you'd be like you know what actually you probably have herpes maybe that's a little bit too provocative (laughs) (laughs) well we're gonna talk more about that later yeah yeah we'll we'll change your change your language regarding this yeah yeah but just funny definitely encourage you know if people are making jokes about stis um to not be afraid to say something you know it doesn't again it Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be provocative it doesn't have to be picking a fight it can just be like you know what actually like a lot of people deal with that and so it's not very funny to minimize it or to make a joke about it yeah i and i think also you know regardless of your status whether you have herpes simplex virus or not like you can still be one to stand up for that Mm -hmm. i remember Mm -hmm. uh in high school uh that it was gay jokes was the thing Mm. that was made a lot and i kind of made this made this decision at one point just because i had a lot of friends who identified as gay and i did not at the time uh identify that way but still was like hey i'm in a position where i'm not the one who's gonna get beat up for this or who's gonna you know get made fun of to my face so like why don't i be the one to stand up and say hey actually could we not make that joke because that's not you know that's not cool that's not nice to, to yeah. real people who could have their feelings or saying hurt. the word retarded or anything along yeah. those lines it's, it yeah. all is yeah. in the same category it's all related not mm-hmm. nice yeah. not kind 
Um, I also just wanted to quickly cover the difference between STD and STI. Um, mm-hmm. So for a long time, well, first it was called venereal disease, uh, and so then good old VD, good old VD, um, and then we moved to STD, which stands for sexually transmitted disease. Uh, and more recently, I guess not that recently, probably 10, 15 years ago, we started transitioning to saying STI instead of STD. And basically, the difference is that an infection means that you have, you know, you've been infected with some kind of a virus or a bacteria or a fungus or something like that, but it might not have any symptoms. Something's only classified as a disease when you're having symptoms, when you're, when the Mm -hmm. cells in your body have been affected by that to the point where you're having symptoms. So the reason why the switch to STI is to point out the fact that not everyone has symptoms. In fact, as we're going to cover, a lot of people don't have symptoms for these things, Mm -hmm. even if they have them. So STI is more inclusive, I guess. So, so all STDs are STIs, but not all STIs are STDs because it's based mm. on whether or not there are symptoms present. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing, just as a note, um, don't talk about this on your dating profile. And what I mean, and mean mm. what I mean by that, as in what I usually see is people being like, you know, no drama, no STDs, or mm. you know, mm-hmm. I want you to to be disease-free or whatever. Um, Well, and I will say, though, on the other hand, there are a lot of people who feel like it's very important to state on their dating profile, I have HSV. Right, right. And I think that's that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, that's your choice. If you want to do that, like, Mm. like, that's fine. Um, But more of, I just, I feel like I see it all the time. And Mm -hmm. it obviously is rooted in a lot of issues around mm-hmm. stigma, around the way that we reduce people to whether they're positive or negative for something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay for you to obviously not want to expose yourself. However, do that in your actions and in the choices that you make about your safe sex rather than trying to filter out somebody and try to find somebody who's disease-free. Um, right. As we'll get into later, that's probably gonna be a lot harder than you think that it'll it's gonna be. Yes, Yeah. yes. And along those lines, if you are having sex, you probably have something or have had something during the time that you've been sexually active, even if you didn't know it. Um, Mm -hmm. And really, some of the most highly stigmatized STIs are absolutely the most common ones. So if your vision of having this sex life that involves like never having to think about STIs, never being exposed to them, any of that stuff. Uh, you're probably honestly not really ready to have sex because most likely it's going to happen at some time or another. And that's okay. I feel like I've had a number of clients and just a number of friends also who for some reason like their vision of the ideal sex life is like no one that I have sex with has any kind of STI or has ever had any kind of STI. Like I never have to even think about it. I never get exposed to it. Like everyone, like everything is just... um, you know, like, like I don't even have to, to touch it or think about it at all. Like, the probability of that happening is so ridiculously small. Yeah, yeah that's insane that's, to that's me. That's the yeah. thing, is that it's like, if you are going to have sex, whether it is having sex with one person, whether it is having sex with multiple people over the course of your life, whether mm-hmm. it is having sex with multiple people overlapping, you know, within a multi-partner relationship or something like that, you are going to have to address this topic and you're going to have to deal with, likely, someone testing positive for something or having Mm -hmm. symptoms for something, Um, whether it's yourself or a partner or a partner's partner, like you are going to have to deal with it. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, doing the whole ostrich with the head in the sand tactic of just not dealing with it or just thinking like, oh, that's fine. I'll just find all partners who don't have any STIs. Mm -hmm. Like that's not going to work for you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, good luck. (laughs) It's, It's not going to work. And, and also a lot of the people who are the most worried about that very likely have something that they don't even know about, that maybe they've had since childhood. And that's the other thing too, is that these these infections that we classify as STIs, which we're gonna cover the main ones, there are others as well, but a lot of these can be contracted other ways too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so the idea that we, we put all this importance on a sexual thing, right? Um, actually a really good um, reference, and I wish I could remember, this might be from one of Ella Dawson's TED Talks, or might have been somebody else, but was talking about uh, the fact that in every doctor's office, every sexual health clinic, every sexual information place, 
they're required if they get any kind of state money, especially, but are pretty much always required and always say that sort of disclaimer of like, all sex has some risk. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no such thing as safe sex, yada, 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 all that. And then she brought up these charts about the number of incidences of STIs and then the number of incidences of people who actually die from that or are debilitated from that. And these relatively small numbers. And then she brought up a chart of the number of people who are crippled or injured or killed in automobile accidents. Mm. And she's like, how come when we go into the DMV, there's not required to be a sign that says all driving is risky. There's no such thing as safe driving. Drive at your own risk. Surrounding driving. Exactly. Exactly. That, That we're taught that, oh, abstinence is the only way to stay safe with this. Whereas we don't even think about that when it comes to driving, which is much, much more dangerous than having sex. Yes, right, right. So what we're going to do, we're going to hit, you know, the big players Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the world of STIs. (laughs) And I think the important thing is, because obviously you as listeners, you can go out, like I said, to the CDC or Planned Parenthood and Mm -hmm. get whatever kind of statistics or information about transmission or transmission rates or how to protect yourself or whether it's Q-Rule and stuff like that. what we found was Mark Manson, um, mm-hmm. he made this blog post that was him doing this, again, him also kind of getting real about like, <laughs> no, really, what are your chances of getting an STI? And he actually breaks it down. He creates something called a raw score, which essentially boils down to the number of people that you would have to have unprotected vaginal sex with uh, in order to catch this STI. On average. On average. Um, so the way that he does this, just to break it down, that for STDs that are, or S- he says STDs, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. For STIs that are curable, he took the estimated number of cases per year and then factored it into the number of individuals in the U.S. to get a percentage of those individuals that would contract that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the incurable ones, he just took the percentage of the American population that has that STI. And he admits that, it's a flawed method. Obviously, it's not 100% accurate. It's not going to be like, okay, if you sleep with 129 people, then on number 130 <laughs> is when you're going to get right. gonorrhea, you know? Um, <laughs> however, so of course, don't take it at face value. However, I really like the raw score thing because it really gives a better image of in your mind of how realistic it is that you would catch this STI mm-hmm. or not, more so than just me telling you, you have a 15% chance or a 50% chance or whatever. Um, So for each of those, we're also going to include the raw score, which I think is just a really interesting way of looking at it. And and the point of that raw score, though, as he mentions here, is that because these numbers are very flawed, the point is more to look at the difference between them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the huge, huge differences between this number for different ones, rather than saying, oh, one one in this much number. Okay, that means my odds are this, so I can take that gamble. That's not, that's not what this is about. It's more just for the sake of giving some perspective on how common these things are. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code multi at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's multi M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code multi to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Okay, so we're going to start out with the typical STI panel that you get tested for, um, which are chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, um, and then HIV will hit a little bit later. Um, 
But those first three, chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, all of them are curable. Um, mm -hmm. Chlamydia specifically, uh, chlamydia usually does not present any symptoms. Well, 25% of men don't experience symptoms, but 70% of women don't experience symptoms either. So that's why it's really important to make sure that you're getting checked out because it's not something where you just notice a symptom and then you can run to the doctor and check. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the raw score that Mark Manson gives it is you would have to have unprotected vaginal sex with 36 people before catching it. Um, again, that's the rough estimate. So that's in comparison to something like gonorrhea, which the raw score is 179 or you know 179 people that you'd have to have sexual experiences with uh, right. or vaginal sex with before getting exposed to gonorrhea. Um, gonorrhea has been in the news a little bit more lately. It kind of seems to make the cycle every couple of years of them talking about more antibiotic resistant strains coming up. Um, mm -hmm. However, um, it's not as much of a major threat as you might think that it is, according to Dr. Xavier Didelot. See, that's <laughs> I don't know how you say it. <laughs> Didelot. 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 Um, he's sure so, he's a senior lecturer in the Department of Infectious Diseases at uh, Imperial College of London, says, at the moment, all cases of gonorrhea are still treatable using some combination of available antibiotics. And I think I remember mm. us looking into this yeah. when it was last in the news cycle is that like there's no strain of gonorrhea that is untreatable it's mm -hmm. just that the ones that are more resistant require different combinations of antibiotics yeah. in order to be treatable it is still curable there's yet to be a strain of gonorrhea that is incurable yeah many but doctors people don't talk about that oh yeah well many many doctors now by default will also prescribe a combination of antibiotics for gonorrhea as well to just make sure that you get it on the first try because if you like i don't know if you've heard this when you have strep throat or something else you're taking antibiotics for if you don't complete your antibiotic course and the virus or the the bacteria survives the antibiotics it's going to be more resistant the next time and it's going to take mm -hmm. more antibiotics to treat it so there are now a lot of doctors just by default right away are prescribing two different antibiotics that are the two ones that have been found most effective so that one way or another it's going to get got uh, <laughs> in that first treatment yeah. rather than developing more resistance. Uh -huh. um, so anyway, when people do talk to you about that one, again, it's, it is still treatable and there have not yet been any cases that are uncurable. Mm -hmm. That is, of course, you know, antibiotic resistant strains of different things come up, but just right. don't let people convince you that like, oh, why bother getting tested because it's untreatable now? They're, they're wrong. Or That's to scare you out of having sex at all. Um, sure. yeah. 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 Or just the media being yeah. like, this is a big thing. Oh my yeah, God, people yeah. are freaking out. I'm right. like, chill. Right. Yeah, but I did want to point out for both of these, these are a really good example of the importance of getting tested because like mm -hmm. with chlamydia, that that can cause fairly serious health concerns, especially for women later down the road, even if they have no symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so you might not even know that you need to get tested for it unless you just go do and find out. And then it's like, okay, great. I take antibiotics for a week and then it's gone, mm -hmm. right? That this isn't some like, oh God, why would I get tested? As opposed then to waiting until there is a major life. health problem. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Then the last one, just to knock this one out is syphilis. Um, mm -hmm. So in America, at least syphilis is not really a major problem anymore in developing countries it's much more of an issue um i have heard that syphilis has made a little bit of a comeback oh, amongst it? gay men specifically oh, um, but it is an entirely treatable curable, right it's another one just disease. on antibiotics for a couple weeks and this then you're fine cured um, in the 1800s <laughs> yeah yeah um syphilis is one of those weird ones where it comes in stages where it starts out with sores and then a rash and then it's gone for Nothing. 15 years and then all of a sudden you die. <laughs> um, yeah. So you I go mean, crazy. Is, that's really oversimplifying it, but like then 15 years, like suddenly your body starts deteriorating. Um, yeah. Well, so Jace, as, didn't you say, yeah, something about blindness too, that it's yeah, still it's, in developing countries. In I think it's, it's still the leading cause of blindness. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, again, one that's really easy to treat if you know you have it. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, you could end up having organ failure 20 years down the road so, so just get tested get an it's std not, test. it's not a STI have, test. you probably have at least 15 years um, uh, right so go get that checked up on it. yeah so again i mean i kind of lumped all those into one category but they are the ones that are most commonly tested for if you walk into any clinic and just ask for an sti test those are the ones that they're definitely gonna gonna mm -hmm. test you for um and they're the ones that are arguably the easiest to treat I don't even think there's an argument there. They are they just the they are the easiest to treat. treat. Okay, and that's just a urine test, right? For all three of those, uh, or syphilis, uh, a blood test, still. Uh, you know, know what? I don't remember now. 
Um, cause I always have I'm just them go do, in and I'm like, yeah. do my blood. Like, I, I do just go in and I'm like, take all my bodily yeah. fluids. There you go. Just take every bodily fluid yeah. you can get out what, of me. What do you want? Blood, saliva, blood, saliva urine, urine, whatever. I got it. Yeah. You want it? I got go it. For it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fire <laughs> sale. It's a fire sale. <laughs> oh, God. Ooh. All right. Okay. On that note, okay. okay. Let's move on to HSV. Well, we haven't, we haven't yet moved on to needing to have stool samples for, for any kind of STI testing. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, hopefully that day doesn't come. Hopefully not. Uh, all right. So with that, we want to move on to uh, the herpes virus, also known as HSV. Um, this one, I uh, often will mess up saying HSV and HPV because those seem very similar, even though they're in different families of viruses. Anyway, HSV, which stands for the herpes simplex virus. Um, this one is a big one because there's a lot of stigma to it. However, it's important to realize that more than 500 million people are estimated to have a genital infection of HSV. Now, the thing to know about HSV here is that it can be in different parts of your body. It's something that attaches to nerve centers in your body. So it's not just like the flu or the chicken pox that's kind of an all over systemic mm-hmm. infection, that this one is localized. And so this is only people who have it genitally. This doesn't include orally or anywhere it could else be anywhere. I think it's right. more likely to break out in mucous membranes, but it, you could have it on your foot. Yeah, Like exactly. it literally could break out anywhere on your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, Incredibly common, it's estimated that one out of every six people has HSV2. And then if you also add the people who probably have HSV1, that number jumps to about one in every four people who have either strain one or two of the herpes simplex virus. Now, for those of you who are not aware of this, take a moment, take a breath, and don't freak out because this isn't such a huge deal. And we're going to get into that in a second. Um, Dedeker wants me to cover the raw score too because I skipped that. Mm-hmm. That the the raw score, as we talked about for this one, is thirteen people. So, so again, if we're just using that as a comparison, mm-hmm. um, that's you know, f- in theory, fewer people that you would have to have unprotected sex with than the ones that we just covered: chlamydia, gonorrhea, mm-hmm. or syphilis. Yeah, one third of the people. Yeah. Who you would have unprotected sex with to be likely to get chlamydia? Mm-hmm. One third of that number mm-hmm. to have herpes simplex virus. Mm-hmm. So, all right, I think there's a lot of people out there hyperventilating. Mm-hmm. Um, go get a you know paper bag to breathe into or something like that, um, because this number really scares people, especially because mm. how much we've been taught to be scared of herpes or think that this means you're a dirty person or you're a bad person. Sex or, life is over. Right. Yeah, that your sex life is over. That no one will want to have sex with you again. Yeah. Exactly. You want to know a, a fun thing I learned? Sure. Uh, I learned that... Um, is, it, is it actually fun or is it going to be a bummer? I think it's fun. Okay. All right. Great. <laughs> um, What's the fun thing? Uh, that in countries and cultures where in the language, mm. there's not a different word for cold sore and herpes, like, cause in, like in Spanish, for instance, okay. um, it's the same word for both herpes and for a cold sore that there's much less stigma in mm. those cultures and in those countries than in English-speaking countries, for instance, where we do make a distinction, even though it's literally the same exact thing. Yeah, well, let's cover that real quick. Mm -hmm. So uh, a cold sore that a lot of people have, a lot of people are not so worried about, that is the herpes simplex virus. Um, Most often, it's HSV-1, which people will often think of as like, oh, HSV-1's the oral one and HSV-2's the genital one. That's not true. You can Mm -hmm. get either one in either place. That's entirely not true. but uh, it, it happens just a little bit more frequently, but that's not true at all. So anyway, so a cold sore is the herpes virus. Um, you can have it in your mouth and we call it a cold sore, or you can have it in your genitals and we call it herpes and all of a sudden we freak out about it. Um, an important thing to know about this too is that if you go into your doctor and just say, I want an STI test, or you go into a Planned Parenthood or wherever, they most likely will not test you for this. And this surprises a lot of people. coax them. Yeah, Yeah. you really got to convince them. This surprised me too. And it's interesting because the reason why most doctors don't test for this, and and by most, I mean almost all, like this is very universal. Uh, Why they don't test for it is that doctors have found that the social and psychological negative effects of finding out that you have been exposed or that you have HSV one or two is so much more damaging than the actual disease itself, which mm. is like a little bit of an inconvenience. But other than that poses virtually no health risk to you whatsoever. 
Um, and so they found that they don't test for it because it's more likely to cause psychological damage. See, I kind of mm-hmm. have mixed feelings about that because mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of a backfire to that. Like I get doctors, I think that it comes from a place of wanting to reduce obviously that psychological damage, mm-hmm. maybe even wanting to reduce stigma, you know, trying to tell people like, you know what, no, you don't need to worry about it unless you have symptoms, you know, so I'm not even going to test you for it. But that sets up more situations where, for instance, mm-hmm. let's say like I... Like maybe I catch HSV2 from someone I'm sleeping with. Okay. And I'm like, oh, they told me that they didn't test positive for anything. They told me that they didn't have any STIs. Like mm-hmm. they lied to me. And that person is like, well, I didn't know. Like my doctor wouldn't even test me, right. you know? And a lot of people also don't even realize that they're not getting tested for HSV. And yeah. so when they yeah. receive back test results that are all negative, they assume, oh, I'm all negative for everything. Right. And that serves to further create the stigma of like, oh, people with STIs or with HSV like are liars and certainly scoundrels yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know that that they're liars and they're shady and you can't trust them and so like i, I think there's I nothing feel, wrong with knowing yeah like, exactly so i feel like yeah. a little bit mixed about doctors really not wanting yeah. to test it's like i get that you as a doctor understand that this doesn't actually have a huge health risk and i get that and you're trying to protect people but at the same time it kind of leaves people the opportunity to be ignorant mm-hmm. and then to mm-hmm. unintentionally end up hurting other people as well yeah. So, yeah. so for example, um, I went to my doctor a couple of years ago now, two or three years ago, and said I wanted to be tested for HSV. I was like, I haven't had any outbreaks or any symptoms, but I have some partners who have it, and I just kind of want to know my status. And I had to essentially convince him, because he was like, oh, I don't know. I had to convince him. I was like, look, I know. I get it. I probably have it. Uh, and I understand that that's not a, a big deal. I just, I would rather know than not know. And he was like, well, okay, uh, sure. I'll do the test for you. But what you do with those results is up to you. That was, those are the words he said. Cause he just <laughs> What does kinda, that mean? <laughs> well, I, I think. I think just, him trying to be like, don't come crying to me about it. Right. Don't come crying to me <laughs> if, if you're upset at actually getting these results. And I've heard similar stories from other people who've gotten resistance from their doctors about testing for it. Um, and, uh, anyway, and I did that and my test results showed that I have antibiotic antibodies for HSV one, um, which is another way of saying I have had or been exposed to HSV one in my life. It could have been as a child, it could have been through sexual partners. It could have been from kissing somebody like who knows, right? I don't know where I got that. And I personally have not had any outbreaks that I've been aware of. So my likelihood of passing that on to other people is fairly low and it makes me a little more resistant to getting HSV-1 in another location because I have antibodies to it already. But it's kind of like, that's the information I have and I like the fact that I have it. It's honestly, for me, I feel like it would be more stressful to test negative for everything because then it's like, oh God, but now I have to maintain this like straight A report card, you know, because like, we have like that. Like it's a report card. Right, like we have that psychological <laughs> thinking about it. So for me, it's kind of like, okay, cool. And it was funny too, my doctor in giving me the results was sort of explaining that you have HSV-1, like you, you don't have this thing, so you're not actively having an outbreak and you haven't recently uh, been exposed to this or this number would be higher. Um, but then he said, and for HSV2, you don't have that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> he just threw in the yet because he's just like, yeah, we're, you're probably going to yeah. get it. Like, it's it's not the end of the world, but just, you know, there's your results. Yeah. Do with it what you will. Kinda. Yeah. <laughs> have fun with that. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. Uh, I guess this is only kind of related, but... I mean, the the whole stigma surrounding it is so frustrating because mm-hmm. of how arbitrary it is. And that really, um, I really started to see that when I got shingles a couple of years ago. Because mm. um, mm. shingles is herpes virus. It's herpes zoster. So it's, it's um, you know, it's just in the same family, but a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And the and symptoms- related to chicken pox as related well, Related to right? chicken pox as well. And the symptoms for shingles are very similar to herpes. You know, mm. you get blisters, like it gets itchy, you get blisters, they scab over, then they fall off, you know, kind of similar um, transmission rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, can be exposed if you have open sores, like then you can transmit it that way. There's also some asymptomatic shedding, viral shedding, just like normal herpes simplex does. Mm-hmm. Um, but with herpes simplex, we associate it with sex. And then with shingles, we associate it with old people. Um, <laughs> sure. And, yeah. You know, because it's it's like if I tell, and, and it's the same thing. Like I have shingles in my body. 
Like, mm-hmm. it's not curable. I have it in my body the same way that someone can carry HSV in their body for their entire lives. Like, I have it. But it'd be a very different conversation for me to say to somebody, like, okay, so I have I have this infection um, on my head area somewhere. Um, I can expose it to you asymptomatically. It results in, like, these blisters. You have it for your entire life. And it's called shingles um, mm-hmm. versus, when, like, and it was herpes. Like, the very different reactions you yeah. get from people, even though it's almost literally the same exact impact and the same exact thing um it's just it's so so arbitrary yeah and unfortunately tv and media continue Mm. to keep the stigma alive and well Mm -hmm. and it is really unfortunate like the one of the articles that i read talked about the movie the hangover and how they said like you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except for herpes. And I'm like, ugh, God, like, it's awful that they yeah. fucking had to throw that in there. But people don't even think about it. People don't even think about it. And and again, if we look at this statistic that most likely one in every four people has one or the other or both strains of HSV. So there were four people in The Hangover. So <laughs> right. clearly one of them has it, at least. <laughs> At least, right? So, so it's just you guys. <laughs> yeah, just that kind of joking, especially because those jokes are so often made by people who have no idea about right. the reality of HSV or how likely it is that they have it and have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it really is unfortunate. And I do think I encourage you out there who feel like you're in a position where you can do this safely is to call people out on it. You don't have to mm-hmm. be mean about it. You don't need to shame them in return about it. I don't think that's very effective. But of just saying, hey, actually, that's a really hurtful thing to say because it's it's this common. If you want, you can educate them about it. But if you're in a position to do that, please do it. And mm-hmm. so let's stop this trend. Yeah. Stop stop allowing this to be an easy joke that we all just accept as, as something that's okay to say. Right. Um, and again, we talked about her already, but Ella Dawson has this mm-hmm. fantastic, fantastic blog where she's just very out and open about having herpes. And she's also a fantastic writer on top of it. Um, she's a great resource to check out. She has mm-hmm. a really great blog post specifically aimed at people who've just been diagnosed and who are freaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, she also, her favorite blog post of hers, or of mine, of hers, what? <laughs> what? My favorite blog post of hers that she wrote, that uh-huh. I read, uh-huh. but she wrote, and I liked it. Just is, so we're clear. It's called, um, Why Should I Date Someone With Herpes? Mm. Because she gets that question all the time. Yeah. And it's freaking fantastic. Um, yes. Definitely recommend the read. If you are asking that question of yourself, why mm-hmm. should I date someone with herpes? Go give it a read. Might help give you some perspective. And, uh, and it's yeah. super valuable if you're someone who's just been diagnosed with herpes or you think you might have it and you're freaking out thinking, oh God, I can't be polyamorous anymore. I can't have casual sex anymore. I can't write any of these things. That's a really great resource for that. Um, and I know so many people who have been really scared and had those concerns. Like they've had their sex card revoked because (laughs) of this until they actually start educating themselves and educating the people around them and learning about it and realizing, oh, okay, this is actually not a big deal and not something that's going to dramatically change my life in the way that I thought it was. So if that's relevant to you, um, definitely check out Ella Dawson. All right. So the next one that we wanted to talk about is HPV. So this one jumps up even more in the raw score. It is four. So only four people might it take for you to potentially get (laughs) HPV of some strain because there's a ton of strains of this. Mm -hmm. Um, So more than 290 million women have HPV Mm -hmm. and about 80% of sexually active people are infected with HPV at some point in their lives. And then in 90% of cases, this... Um, infection is cleared by the body within two years, but really each year about 39,800 new cases of cancer um, are found in parts of the body where HPV is found. However, yeah, that's not obviously a huge amount in comparison to the number of people who have it, but this is Mm -hmm. another reason to get tested and screened for it, why women especially need to get screened for it on a yearly basis, um, because there is a potential that it can lead to cancer. Um, But this is also a thing that now has a vaccine for it, and men and women can get the vaccine for this. If Um, you're young. If you're young, and also bear in mind that... 
the vaccine also only protects you from the cancer-causing strains, which is actually it, fine because those are the ones that you need actually, to be worried about. Mm-hmm. In my in my research, it does. It, it's not just the cancer causing anymore. There's oh, is one it not? that's a, that's yeah. yeah. Um, I think the one I got was just the cancer causing strains. Also, some of the wart causing strains. Oh, yeah. I see. Y- yes, 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 yes. Yeah, the wart causing as well. I think it's a nine strains at this point. Yeah. Um, and I got it used to be I like four or five, well. and now it's up to nine. Yeah. Exactly, but it's a series of three shots, I believe. Oh, I got and the 1.0 for- version that, that covers <laughs> oh, right. fewer strains. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. but it's for young people, um, twenty six and younger. But mm-hmm. now, like kids are getting it too. Uh, people in their teens um, can get this vaccination as well. Right. Um. Yeah. This is a thing that I have gotten twice. I have had two mm-hmm. different cancer causing types of HPV. Um. Once first in two thousand eleven, and then I got the uh, vaccine, and then I got it again in 2015, so it's mm-hmm. like, well... Wait, and it was confirmed know. it was the cancer-causing strains? Or it was yep, a regular both strain of them of- were the high-risk mm-hmm. strains, both of them, so right. they were different ones, but but again, you know, I, I've definitely had sex with far more than four people, <laughs> and so clearly <laughs> I was bound to get it potentially more than once. Well, but what right. your, your experience of having it, I mean, what mm-hmm. was your experience of having it and what was your experience of recovering from it? Well, the first time I was monogamous with Jace mm-hmm. and I was devastated. Yeah. I was absolutely devastated at the time because I really did have that idea of like, I'm a disgusting, gross human who has this, like, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's awful. And like, I just felt very down and awful about myself. And really, like, my mother, even when I told her about it, she's like, just just calm the fuck down. Like, you're going to be fine. Seriously. I'm pretty sure she said that to me. And and she was right. And she was absolutely right. Because um, my body cleared it within six months. Wow, I had, you know, yeah. yeah, you have a colposcopy, which is just mm-hmm. to, to basically do a biopsy of the um, tissue. And then you have another pap smear in six months. And in that time of six months, it completely cleared. Um, Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened the second time. Mm -hmm. So I I attribute that maybe to nothing more than I am vegan and have great immunity. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But yeah, no, but basically, yeah, most people, it will clear within two years Mm -hmm. of um, getting a strain. Right. But again, like with herpes, whether it does or not, Um, this one doesn't really have any adverse health effects besides increasing your risk for certain types of cervical cancer or, you know, cancer where the HPV virus is, um, which is something that, yes, it is important to know that so that you can have your doctor check for that. Because as we all in today's world know about cancer, now the earlier you detect it, the easier it is to to treat Mm -hmm. and not have that become a problem or something that's going to really affect your life as much. Yeah. Yeah. And bear in mind, um, I've seen this happen a lot. If you contract HPV, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be immediately clear Mm. who you got it from. Oh, God, no. Yeah, this one can take a long time to show up. It can take a long, it can be anyone, it can take a long time to show up. I've seen like a lot of pain and a lot of tears over people being very angry at their ex or very angry at the person that they're with right now because you gave me HPV, but... There really isn't a way to prove that, you know, unless the person that you're sleeping with, um, if they happen to be presenting some kind of symptoms like mm-hmm. genital warts, for instance. Mm-hmm. And along that note, when it comes to men, there is no way to test men for HPV unless they are presenting warts. Right. Um, then it can be tested. But if they're not, they can be carrying it, have no symptoms and have no idea. And so mm-hmm. that one is a hard one because of the fact that if someone tells you if, if you are sleeping with a partner who has a penis... And they tell you, oh, I've tested negative for everything. There is no way for them to test for HPV. Right. So that may not be a good basis for you to be like, okay, we'll just have unprotected protected sex and it'll be great. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is no way for them to know. Um, so just bear that in mind. Yeah. Um, and then also that this uh, just on the subject of safer sex is that with a lot of these, both HPV and HSV, these are also transferred through skin contact as well. So even using things like dental dams or condoms are not 100% effective. 100%. They're going to they're going to yeah. make it less likely for this to be transmitted between people, but it's not a foolproof thing, which again I would love for that information to not go toward 
abstinence education, but instead toward just desigmatizing these things so we can just be realistic about them and not, uh, you know, not put all this like emotion into something that's really just like, okay, great. I have, I have this thing that might occasionally give me some kind of a rash or irritation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's it. That's, that's all. That's That's right. That's that's all. Yeah. 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 Moving along. So again, get tested, but don't freak out because yeah. really yeah don't take the route that i did back when i was a wee lass in 2011 <laughs> yeah and get really down on myself um instead just you know continue your yearly screening and mm-hmm. then you'll you should be fine you'll mm-hmm. clear it within two years most likely if anything does happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so moving on to again the one that usually comes up on the standard sti testing panel which is hiv um uh, HIV, so the raw score for this one is 1,250 people, so mm-hmm. that roughly you'd have to sleep, have unprotected sex with 1,250 people before you'd be exposed or would catch HIV. Um, mm-hmm. That number drops to significantly less if you're engaging in anal sex or if you're engaging in needle sharing practices of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um that that definitely increases your risk. Um, so HIV these days, it's certainly, it's not the death sentence that it was in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Of course, catching it is gonna change your life and it's gonna be expensive. Um, but, you know, a person who takes their HIV medicine as prescribed and stays virally suppressed, they can still stay healthy and they effectively end up having no risk of sexually transmitting HIV to HIV negative partners. Um, yes. So it's the kind of thing, it's it's like if you live in the US and you have access to health insurance, you, you will probably be able to maintain a normal, healthy life mm-hmm. even after contracting HIV. Of course, people Especially who are in, the earlier you find The out. earlier that you catch it, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, people who live in developing countries or less privileged areas, it's a totally different and much sadder story. Um, Certainly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, this, this one also, just a, a few other things about this, is um, there are also drugs out there that um, they're not they're not, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they, they won't make you immune to it, but- Like prep, prepper, prep drugs. Right, yeah. that, that it won't make you immune to it, but can make you significantly less likely to catch HIV. Uh, and um, that, that, especially if you are someone who is doing things that puts you at a higher risk, um, such as being a man who has sex with men regularly, especially if you're doing that without condoms, uh, that there are other ways to further decrease your risk for this. Um, but the thing that I always like to point out about HIV that makes it a little bit different from some of these other ones is that this is specifically through body fluids like semen and blood, that this is not transmitted through saliva and it's not um, transmitted through urine, things like that, that this is fairly specific. And so this is one that actually condoms are much, much more effective in preventing than, than the other ones. Um, in, in it's to, not just like a mucous membrane To transfer. a very high degree, yeah. Um, and this is one too that, that the last time I looked into this, um, unless there's some other complicating factor exposing more of your blood uh, in your mouth. Like if you have open sores in your mouth or something like that, say if it's combined with having a cold sore outbreak or something, that even having unprotected oral sex with someone with HIV is there, there haven't actually been uh, documented cases of it being passed that way. Um, Hmm. Even through, I think they did studies that it's like, you would have to drink the equivalent of like a gallon of another person's saliva who had it, right? Something just awful that's that's, that's absurd, right? So this is one that I do like to stress to people is one that with just a reasonable amount of safe sex practices, you don't even need to go, you know, all out with like gloves and and dental dams and everything to, to really dramatically reduce or even eliminate your risk of transmitting this one. Um, so I do like to emphasize that in terms of people being like, oh, well, okay, if everything's just whatever, no big deal, then like why use condoms at all? Mm-hmm. Uh, that this this is one that it's worth it. Why the just fuck not? It. Like, yeah. why yeah. not? Just why not? do it. Yeah. And that brings us to our other, uh, I would say the most common sexually transmitted infection, which is having a baby. <laughs> Someone's feelings are going to be hurt by that. No, um, there there was an episode of of House MD where he 
he like a woman came in with symptoms worrying she was sick and he's like ah oh, well i'm afraid to tell you that you have a parasite um most people though grow attached to it they even name it um and it'll probably affect you for at least 18 years <laughs> it's like you're pregnant um no but okay let's let's be real about this so this one we have a raw score of 100 sexual encounters so this one's a little different that this isn't number of people because this one your risk goes up the more times you have sex with even the same person over yes. and over again um so again this is penis and vagina sex that we're talking about here uh, but about one in a hundred times of having unprotected sex will lead to pregnancy now this one's interesting because we often i think for a lot of people this one's kind of like an afterthought or we think oh well if the woman's on the pill or some other kind of hormonal birth control like whatever i don't need to worry about that um or it's like oh well stis affect me for life and like i could take care of a pregnancy or right. however you want to think about like it an sti affects my sex mm. life for the rest of my life I mean, a baby does too, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, a baby most likely will as well. <laughs> right. Um, and so just that this is one that I feel like a lot of people don't take as seriously as they should, in, yeah. in my opinion here. Yeah. Um, I guess I, d I don't like to say should, but, but really though, take this one more seriously because a pregnancy, even if, even if the woman in this case has decided that she's not going to have this pregnancy and is going to terminate it. It's expensive and rough on your body. Mm. Right. I mean, this is not a and pleasant potentially on your psyche. Potentially. Right? Yes. This is not a pleasant experience to go through. Um, even mm -hmm. people who are like, Oh, well I'll just take the morning after pill. Mm -hmm. I mean, have you guys ever taken the morning after pill? Oh yeah. The plan B oh, or yeah. whatever? Yeah. Yeah. What a lot of times. Yeah. You could <laughs> probably <sum> like four. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you could sum up in a word what that experience is like. $50 of freak out. $50 of freak out. Uh, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's more the annoying. I, I mean, I have not taken it a ton in my mm -hmm. life and I've never used it as like my go-to plan. Right. You know, some people have where it's like, okay, whatever, like we'll have unprotected sex and then I'll just take the morning after pill and it'd be great, which I don't think is a great plan to have. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, well, it's if the more, condom broke, that's happened to me. Yeah, I know yeah. that's basically the only time I've used it is if a condom broke. Um, and basically, I don't know, the experience that I've had is just that like sometimes maybe it might make you a little bit sick to your stomach and it might kind of mess up what your menstrual cycle is like. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think it's that impactful, honestly. My experience of you taking it has <laughs> definitely had a lot of effect on you just sort of like physically and emotionally just feeling shitty and oh, like it being in a... I've taken it with you too, Jace. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I can say Possibly. from the outside, I feel like I perceive it having a fairly large effect. <laughs> I'm sure I think that it just varies from person to person, but still. Well, yeah, and just it, it just the idea that there is like the pregnancy scare that potentially is happening. That's it's, it's not, I think it's, okay, psychologically, okay, fine. Like, it's not it's not a good day. The day that you have to take the morning after pill, right? <laughs> um, You're just like fuck. Let's <laughs> make sure we're you, okay like no. Here. It's just it's just it's not a good day. Like anytime you're in a position where you're having a pregnancy scare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also have a, a special message for the men out there with this one is that, um, you know, so often the role of, you know, planned parenthood, right? The role of controlling pregnancy falls to women because well, people who have uterus, people who have uteruses, mm -hmm, right? Yes. Like that the, they're the ones who have pills they can take or have injections they can get or you know, can have things done that are not permanent. And so it's like, okay, well, it's their job to do that then. And a lot of men, in their interest in having sex without condoms with women, will be like, okay, well, she's doing that, so that's going to be her responsibility. And something that I do like to stress to men is a lot of us are not fully aware of the fact that if even, you know, nothing's 100% effective, but even if you do get somebody pregnant, that you actually have no say in whether or not that child ends up being born like you, you have no legal rights to that at all to, to decide whether there is an abortion or there isn't or right. So you have legally no control over whether this does affect your life for the next 18 years. 
And I think that while that might seem like, oh God, I'm trying to scare you, I'm just saying wear a fucking condom. Be a man about <laughs> it, if I can be a little cliche there. Jeez. But right, just like fucking take some responsibility for your role in this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just can't stress that enough that, that how significantly this can affect your life um, and that this is definitely something worth taking responsibility for and not treating this as something that only women have to worry about. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. if you're going along and your plan in your head is just kind of assuming like, oh, well, if my you know if my female partner gets pregnant like we'll just you know we'll have an abortion or Mm -hmm. like we'll we'll take care of it but it's like well sorry that's actually not your choice exactly (laughs) you know we've actually been fighting for a long time to make sure that it is the woman's choice Mm -hmm. or the person who's actually has the uterus to be making that choice and so but what that means is that if you're thinking like oh whatever like if she gets pregnant i won't have to worry about it because we'll take care of it it's like but you might, you might still end up on the hook for- Especially if this is someone that you haven't had that conversation with. Right. Especially right. with more Jesus. casual partners. Right. Right, someone that you've just started dating even, mm-hmm. right? Because those are the people we don't think about it with. No, it, like it don't ever make assumptions. Don't make don't assumptions. Don't make assumptions no. about what's God, gonna happen. So like have that do. conversation. Yeah. 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 Anyway, with that. So. <laughs> why is it on. important yeah <laughs> why is it important to get tested for stis why indeed so, um i mean i think yeah. as we've hit a couple times in this is that pretty much a lot of these things are treatable or manageable but only if you know that you have them in the mm-hmm. first place um i've yeah. met a lot of people i've come across a number of clients like people who think like oh gosh well i'd rather just not know or if it's not that big of a deal, then I'm just not going to get tested and I'd rather mm-hmm. just give myself the peace of mind. And it's it's like, I get what you're going for, but it's a head in the sand kind of tactic. It's like, mm-hmm. it's only if you know, then you actually have the power to make decisions about it and mm-hmm. the power to actually like take care of yourself and to help take care of your partners as well. Yeah. Yeah, and you really can't have any type of meaningful conversation about safe sex if you yourself don't know your own status. You can't be honest about your status if you don't know it. And you can't expect someone else to be honest about their status if you don't know your status to talk to them about it. So know, figure it out, (laughs) and get tested. Uh Yeah, and different people have different uh, expectations for how often they or their partners will get STI testing. We've talked about this a little bit earlier in the episode, but I think this one's an important one to educate yourself through some of the resources we've talked about in this episode, but educate yourself so you have your own feelings about it. You have your own choices you can make instead of just relying on other people's insistence on yes or no to, mm. to STI testing or putting that responsibility on someone else um, to, to make that choice for yourself and make your own decisions about what kind of risk you want to take versus being able to have sex, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, so let's give them some actionable takeaways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, encourage your partners to get tested as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, it's again, if you have gotten tested, if you know what your status is, that just makes it a lot easier, especially if you're, you know, if you're hooking up with someone new for the first time mm-hmm. or just connecting with someone for the first time that you are able to proactively be like, well, this is what my status is because I know, cause I was tested mm-hmm. relatively mm-hmm. recently. Um, I would love for you to know the same thing mm-hmm. or, you know, it, it gives you a place to start that conversation from yeah 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 um you can go back and revisit our episode that we did on making pre-sex talk sexy um Mm -hmm. of being able to have these conversations about your status about what safe sex practices you want to use about what safe sex practices you use with other partners and being able to uh, about you know if you need to disclose something about making that talk not this like really awkward rigid uncomfortable thing but something that can be fun can be comfortable can be even sexy Mm -hmm. Also, uh, by educating yourself now, both about your own status, but also just about STIs in general, like a lot of the common misconceptions we've talked about in this episode, by doing that now, rather than waiting until you're confronted with it, until you have a partner or you yourself has one of these things and you freak out and you don't know how to respond to it, um, that by knowing beforehand, you can know how to respond to that. So if you meet someone who you really like and then you find out that they have HSV one or two, that the first couple of times that happened to me, I was like, I I don't know how to respond to this. And so my answer to them was, I I don't know enough about that. I I need to think about that. So, So 
sorry, I'm not sure that we can do this right now. Um, whereas later on, after having learned more on my own, not specifically being motivated because I want to have sex with this person, but just learning mm -hmm. more in general, then when I was presented with that in the future, I knew what questions I wanted to ask about it, what they were doing to you know, minimize their outbreaks or their risk of transmitting it, and then also what kind of safe sex practices I wanted to take. And then also at the end of the day, realizing that it's not the end of the world. It's not something I needed to be so scared about. And then I, I've been able to have a number of fantastic relationships with people who have HSV-1 or 2 mm -hmm. and not been worried about it. But I wouldn't be able to do that if I hadn't educated myself beforehand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that just goes along with, um, you know, take your sexual health into your own hands. Don't outsource it. Don't rely on other people to protect you. I mean, I see this happen a lot where it's like, well, I want to be able to have unprotected sex with this particular partner. So I need to make sure that all of my partner's partners are the ones who are getting tested all the time and who are having super, super safe, protected sex so that we can take more risks. Um, right. No, like protect yourself. Protect yourself. Don't rely on somebody else or somebody else even further on down in your polycule or in your network to be the one carrying all the load of that responsibility. Like you need to carry that responsibility as well. Um, and that's not, you know, I say responsibility like it's a big burdening thing, but no, it's like, it's a good thing. It's empowering. It means that, you know, you can be in situations, you know, for instance, where, you know, you meet someone, you connect with, you really like them, and then they reveal like, oh, I have HPV, or I had HPV two years ago, and mm -hmm. that you can be like, well, I know what decisions I've made about myself to protect myself, and so right. I can carry that knowledge and those practices into this without having to worry about it, without having to scramble, and without having, you know, having to go ask 20 people in my polycule to change their practices, or, exactly. you know, yeah. things like that. Right. Woo. Whoa, wow. I mean, I still feel like we only touched, scratched the surface Gosh, of this. No, like no. there's always, there's so much it's to talk about topic. in this topic. And yeah. I, I think there's but a hopefully lot. Hopefully we gave you something. Yeah, 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 hopefully. I think this one is, um, I think we hit on a lot of the most common subjects that come up. There's obviously so much more to all of this. Um, if you have a specific question about this or something that you want to discuss about this, you can leave that in the comments for the episode. You can tweet at us on Twitter, stuff like that. Like, please continue this conversation. This isn't something that has to end right here. And this is all the information. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that medical science and everything is constantly developing and learning about this as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you'd like to have your question or comment played on your show, you can call 678-M-U-L-T-I-0-5 and leave us a voicemail, or you can send us an audio message at the Multiamory Facebook page. You can also email us at info at multiamory.com or send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. To support our show and join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Jace Lindgren, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.